0: Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to see each of you here. It's been a good morning of worship already as we sang and looked into the Word of God together. I hadn't intended to say this, but as we was here just before coming up, the Lord laid it on my heart. I would like to encourage us not to become complacent in face of the Sunday School lesson we just read, or we just studied. You know, we could pat ourselves in the back and say, oh, we don't have that here. but. Sometimes people observing us say, no, you don't have it, but are your marriages really what God intended them to be? In other words, are each of us as men, husbands, loving our wives the way Christ loved the church? And wives, are you uh, responding to your husband the way the church responds to Christ? I'm not saying that in a condemning way, just a challenge that we don't feel like, well, since we don't allow something, that means everything's always good, uh, you know, if you work with people that struggle, you realize that not, all, not every circle is, is ideal or perfect. Not every child has the stability that they wish they had in their home. So let's be open to God's leading in our lives through that. So for this morning's message, it's another message born out of my personal experience, where I'm at right now in my life. And uh, I guess that's what the Lord just keeps laying on my heart. This morning's sermon title is Experiencing God's Shalom, S-H-A-L-O-M, Experiencing God's Shalom. So what is that? Are you experiencing that level of peace in your life? Do we even understand shalom, peace that comes from God? I think our Middle Eastern people would understand it. They use that saying somewhat in greetings. Shalom to you, and to you to you. shalom would be greetings that they would use some back and forth to each other. But what does it mean? The word shalom as it refers to the idea of God's peace is used 208 times in the Old Testament. In its, Hebrew, in its Greek counterpart, its Greek counterpart, Irenae, which carries most of the same weight and meaning, is used 86 times. So that tells us that 294 times in the scripture God speaks to us about His peace and His desire for us to experience His peace and allow it to rule in our lives. That tells me God's serious about us knowing that. And that has been a prayer for myself recently to experience God's shalom in my life. So what is it? And what does it mean? It is peace and completeness it is welfare and health. It is also a relationship of harmony and wholeness. It is a harmonious state of the soul and mind that encourages development of all that God would have us to be. See, I heard some time back, and it sort of spurred me into this study, that peace to a, to a Hebrew person isn't just a state of being, It is a way of life. It's not a state of being. It is a way of living. So it is an harmonious state of soul and mind that encourages development of all that God would have us to be. All the gifts he gave us, all the opportunities in his peace that is developed. It is a state of being at ease both externally and internally. It is being right with God. It is the state in which Adam and Eve experienced before they sinned. There was, Joe read uh, from Genesis this morning, and he stopped one verse short of the end of that chapter. It said they they were both naked and unashamed with each other. And that's more than just physical. There was nothing about Adam and Eve that they didn't know about each other, there was nothing between them and God. That's shalom, that's living. In God's peace. It's complete tranquility with God and with those around us. That was lost in the fall. But as we'll see this morning, God's intention is that it's restored in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, But He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our shalom was upon him with his stripes we are healed here again this this verse is one of my favorite in the scripture and i'll never fully comprehend it there's so much there but in addition to his work of cleansing us from sin somehow in his chastisement in his suffering Gives us the ability to experience that peace, that shalom that God wants us to experience through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And only in Him can we experience this peace. Jesus was speaking to His disciples uh, just prior to His suffering and, and death. And He said this to them He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. He's saying, My shalom. Well, this was Greek, it's translated. RNA, but he was referring back to the, to the Hebrew concept of God's shalom. He's saying, shalom I leave with you, my shalom I give unto you. He said, my peace, it's Christ's peace that he's giving to us. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Have you ever pondered what Jesus meant here? And he said, not as the world giveth. I'm not giving you peace as the world attempts to give. So don't be afraid. What's the difference? In the world's peace, one can dictate peace. The Romans had the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And someone, one historian said, they could take a city and turn it into a desert and call it peace. It was one-sided peace. You do what the Romans said, or they'd move you out of the way, and they'd create peace. Shalom is a mutual agreement, not one-sided. The world's peace is temporary. How many times have you looked or heard in the news and noticed that there's a ceasefire between the Palestinians and Israelis, and you breathe a sigh of relief, say, so, well, that war's over, it'll never start again. No, you look at it and say, well, will that last 24 hours or not? The world peace is temporary. God's shalom is a permanent agreement. One person can make a peace treaty, as I've already said, without the others wanting it, but they're too weak to fight it. Shalom is a condition of peace when all parties. Peace can be negative when it's just the absence of commotion. God's peace is the presence of serenity in our lives. Peace can be partial. Shalom is complete and whole. You see, God's peace is His desire for His people. And it's always been God's desire for His people, even though it was broken when sin came into the picture. We have the law given in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You have the end of exodus and in numbers and deuteronomy and i hear people talking about reading through the bible how they have a tendency maybe to work through that pretty fast or not read everything because there's law after law after law after law and it's redundant you know it's interesting i'm going around the trail here adam and eve were in the garden they had one boundary god said don't eat of this one tree but when they broke that boundary they ended up with some 600 boundaries Till you get to the book of Deuteronomy. Isn't that how sin works? The more boundaries we break, the more boundaries we have to make. Look at the world around us. Yeah. Okay, so back on subject. We have Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all these these laws. But right about in the midst of that, we find Numbers 6. And God had just finished giving them directives on uh, how to do things. They just finished setting up a tabernacle and in Numbers chapter seven, and the different tribes started coming and offering their sacrifices. But between finishing that up and the people beginning to bring their sacrifices, God told Moses something very interesting. He said, "Moses." I'm going to give you a prayer, and this is what Aaron is supposed to pray, the high priest. This is what Aaron is supposed to pray over the people of Israel. Listen to what he said. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking to Aaron and to his son, saying, On this wise shall ye bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, This is what Aaron was to pray. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee, the smiling face of God upon thee, and give thee shalom. Right in the midst of all these laws and boundaries, we still see the heart of God just wanting His people to experience His fullness and His presence and His peace. God desires the same for us today. He says, "Bless them. Here is my heart for my people." Now I'm going to take you back to the verse we looked at earlier, John 14:27. Jesus was with his disciples just prior to his suffering and his death. And he said, My shalom, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you know the next time that Jesus was again in the presence of the disciples? It's over a number of chapters in John 20. John 20 and verse 19. And the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. So Jesus had told them, I'm leaving my peace with you, my peace I'm giving to you. Then he suffered. He died. He was in the tomb. He was resurrected. Mary Mary came, I believe it was Mary Magdalene, came and told disciples she had seen the Lord. But according to what I looked at here, and maybe I'm wrong, help me if I am, I don't think that Jesus' disciples had actually seen him and been in his presence yet. And Jesus came to them, and just think about it. Jesus told them, I want you to have this peace that I've just explained to you at the onset of this message. Was that what they were experiencing? Is were we're experiencing in chapter 20. It said they were behind locked doors. Why? Because they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Well, their Lord and Master and leader had just been crucified. And they thought, if he cannot, if, if this man who did all the miracles, who we walked with, who could call 10, 12 legions of angels, if they took his life, what would they do to us? And Jesus comes and stands in the midst of them. And what are the first words that Jesus said to his disciples? Jesus came and stood in the midst and said unto them, Shalom be unto you. His first words to his disciples was, Shalom be unto you. Peace. Absence of fear. Absence of chaos. Absence of anything other then tranquility and peace and trust in God. And Jesus opened the conversation with the disciples said, Shalom be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said unto them again, Shalom be unto you. The second time, he tells them the same thing. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And he had said this. He breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Dear ones, that was a transition, a transformation. I'm struggling for the right word. That was the change in those disciples' lives. Yes, they were told to wait until the Holy Ghost came fully at Pentecost, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you'll never find these men hiding behind closed doors again. Because Jesus offered them His peace, gave them the Spirit, and the peace of God comes in our lives through the presence of the Spirit. We can't have peace without the presence of the Spirit. But they went from there, and we find them in the book of Acts, going out boldly and preaching to the crowds, being taken to prison, being set free, rejoicing when they're persecuted. No fear. Because they were filled with the Spirit of God, And they had the peace of God on their laps. Oh. And in the book of Acts, right after the Holy Spirit came, and the people were wondering what was going on, Peter said, And this shall be unto you, and to your children, and all them that will believe after you. You see, the power and peace of God has not diminished through the hundreds or thousands of years that have came and gone. It doesn't change. We have the same opportunity to have the same peace and power of the Spirit and boldness and tranquility that the disciples had in the book of Acts. It is not diminished unless we choose not to appropriate it into our lives. So I tell you, again, this is things I'm working on in my life. How often do I lock myself up spiritually spiritually? How often do I lock myself up spiritually when Jesus is standing there offering peace and power for the present need? How often do you lock yourself up spiritually when Jesus is there offering peace and power for the present need in our lives? Isaiah 26.3 says this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect shalom, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Is my mind stayed on the Lord, and do I trust Him in every situation? The Old Testament evangelist said, God will keep us in perfect peace and tranquility with God when our mind is stayed on Him and when we trust Him. I invite you to Philippians 4 for our text this morning. Philippians, the fourth chapter. What we've looked at so far was the background. I wanted us to understand what God what God is telling us when we read the word peace, as it refers to our personal relationship uh, with Him and with those around us as fellow believers and with the world around us as well. I want us to understand that background of what shalom is and what it means and how it truly is, as the Jewish man said, it's not just a condition, it is a way of living. And now Philippians 4 tells us how to appropriate it and to make it reality in our lives. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my crown and joy, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And I beseech Eodius, and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yokefellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement, and also with other, with other my fellow labors whose names are in the book of life. So Paul is writing to the, to the believers at Philippi there, and he's, he's coming in here to chapter 4, and he's saying there he preceded this. But he's saying, there's something I want you to take care of there. There's an issue that needs to be taken care of there in the church. And he said, uh, we need to, first of all, we need to stand fast in the Lord. He said, you folks are my joy and crown. You you believers there mean so much to me. But I'm beseeching you, stand fast in the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, he wrote to Timothy. And my dearly beloved. And now he said, you know, there's two ladies in the church that are kind of having a spat. It was Yodius and Syntyche. Syntyche, however you want to say it. He said, go to them and help them and treat them that they be of the same mind in the Lord. They need to resolve their differences and come together in the Lord. And he says, I entreat thee also, Fella, help these women. In other words, come beside them and help these women. This is an issue that needs to be taken care of. They are not experiencing peace. And when they're not experiencing peace, it's going to affect the whole church. We need to be at peace with each other. And then we come in to verse 4. And here we see how we allow God's peace to direct our lives. And we'll notice in, this, in these scriptures and others that this peace is not something that we force. This is something that we allow. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He's laying the foundation for the peace of God to thrive and to grow in our hearts and lives a joyful person a rejoicing person and we'll continue to build on that. He says two times rejoice. And then in verse 5, he goes on and says this. Well, let me back up. Why should we rejoice? Well, Proverbs 15:13 says this, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Proverbs fifteen fifteen says this, All the days of the affli- all thy days are afflicted of evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. He's saying, Even in the midst of, of evil, the person with, with joy can have a continual feast. Proverbs 1722, a merry heart doth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth up the bones. He's saying rejoice. Continue to rejoice. Allow the joy of the Lord to be in your heart and life. Nehemiah, when he was facing opposition from all sides and trying to rebuild the wall, he encouraged his workers and he said, Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. What's moderation? It is a gentle disposition. And he's saying... Live your life so that your gentle disposition will be evident to everyone. Evident to everyone. Why? That was interesting. I hadn't thought much about that before this study. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Some people think that means because the Lord's coming soon. Others would say it's because the presence of the Lord is with us. And I would lean towards the second interpretation. We're crucified to Christ, but yet the Lord lives within us. The Lord is here. Through His Spirit, He is here. And because of that, be gentle. Let your gentle disposition be known to all men, because the Lord's presence is with us as His people. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That literally means do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Don't be fretful. I didn't say these things were easy. I said, it's what God is calling us to. How often have I fretted away and lost peace? And we face things that are unknown and uncertain. Just this morning in our prayer request, so many people we know are facing things that are unknown and uncertain. But God calls us to rest in Him. Like I said, I'm not there, I've not attained, and that's why I've been studying this for my own directive, for our own help. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, what are we to do? We are to take every need to God in prayer. And let's break that down a bit. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. What's that mean? Well, the first word prayer here, if you study it, means to come to God in a worshipful spirit. So we're coming to God or opening up our conversation with God in a worshipful spirit and in supplication is the petitions that we bring. So I see here prayer has two, two elements, worship and supplication. And we're to couple that worship and supplication with an attitude of gratitude. It says, do it with thanksgiving. Out of the spirit of thanksgiving, we are to make a request known unto God. I'm working on another message, it's an assignment. And it keeps coming back. The subject keeps bringing me back to how often God calls us to being thankful. Being thankful is an expression of gratitude for all that God has done for us, but is also, according to what I'm studying in Scriptures, it's one of God's strongest antidotes toward the encroachment of sin upon our lives. A thankful person is much less likely to be lured into sin than an unthankful person. And that's another message for another time. But something to think about. Be thankful. Thanksgiving is one God's prescribed antidotes for overcoming sin and experiencing joy in our lives. Verse 7, Now the result, and God's saloon, which is beyond our ability to fully comprehend, will take control of our lives. That's a very literal uh, reading of what this says. And the shalom, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What does the word keep here mean in your King James? Another translation puts it this way. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Well, the word from which it's translated is actually two words, or has two meanings. And the first is to set a guard. It's a military term. It's the idea of, well, you understand how it is. So there's two armies and they're encamped across from each other. But at night, there are guards stationed around the camp to keep an eye out for enemy movement towards their position. That's the guard. So the scriptures saying that the peace of God will stand as a sentry around our lives as a hedge of protection to help guard us against the tactics of our adversary. That's the first. The second one is, it is also like a group of soldiers surrounding a place of strategic importance to the group. You understand what I'm saying? So, there's a strategic place of importance to this army and a strategic place of importance to that army They're going to garrison. That's the word I'm looking for. It's a garrison around that position that they don't want to lose. So the peace of God does both, according to my study in this. It sets a sentry to watch. It forms a garrison around our hearts and our minds to protect us from the onslaught of the evil one. So think about that. Take that home with you. Rejoice in that. We should be rejoicing as we see how God really works this thing out. Yes. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will set a guard around your heart and your minds. How? Through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. What did Isaiah say in Isaiah 9? All the attributes of this babe that was to be born. He's the Prince of Peace. And of his kingdom and peace there shall be no end. There's no limit to the peace that's in this man, Jesus Christ. All right, so that's how it works. Now there's some disciplines that goes with it for us. fact is, I want to look up two, you can turn with me if you'd like to, to these verses. Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15. Colossians three is the chapter that tells us what to put off and what to put on. Maybe I'll back up a little bit to verse twelve. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, also do ye. So also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, agape love, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, verse 15, And let the shalom, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you're also called in one body, and be ye thankful. You see how this works? It comes together again and again. There's peace from God. It's ruling in our hearts. Remember, it's the sentry. It's the garrison. It's the ruler. It's the keeper of our hearts. And it doesn't say force it, it says let it. Allow the peace of God to rule in your heart. Give it the throne, let it take the right place, and be ye thankful. Thanksgiving is the seedbed out of which peace can flourish. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word and deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then we drop into husband wife relationships. Yeah. All right. Romans five. Turn with me there, please. Romans five. I wasn't exactly sure where to put this in, but I thought it was too important to leave out. It tells us how this whole thing works out in our lives. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith. We have that life-directing, changing peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, when we we go to the scripture wherever it's at and we see where that the peace of God comes to us through the work of Jesus Christ and we're called to rejoicing in peace and trust in God. Alright, back to Philippians 4 and verse 8. Philippians 4 and verse 8 And I said, there's some disciplines that must be in our lives to make this a reality and keep it a reality. even tells us how we ought to think. God's shalom, which is beyond our ability to comprehend, now gives us directives on what to think about. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Some of you may have noticed, I went to the barber shop last week. I was there about 25 minutes, and so row of hair cutters, a row of people getting their hair cut. And I sat there, and I just analyzed the conversations. And I heard basically exact opposite of this. It's like, Oh, that, that intersection, whoever put that in, went to, oh, you see that stoplight there, oh, there was a wreck there, and, and you know, the highway department and everybody they talked about just, it just, it was just terrible, you know, they just, everybody, nobody knew, nobody anywhere knew what they was doing, according to the philosophers there in the barbershop, and I've been thinking about this, and you know that's really the world we live in. There's just no respect at all, hardly for people, and no one's really given much credit at all for even trying to do what they can. But God says that's not how we're to think. We're supposed to think about what's true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report and of any virtue and any praise. Think on these things. That's part of the peace uh, pact with God. Discipline our thoughts. Discipline our thoughts. And now verse nine, "And these things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the peace of God, and the God of peace shall be with you." So we, we have opened this up, we've looked at it. We've considered what it is. We've considered how it works. It's peace. And I love how verse 9 just brings it together for us. And he said, Of those things which you've learned, received, and heard, do it. And not only will we have peace, but that God of peace will be with us. And that's what we really want. We want that God of peace in our lives to be with us. And to carry us. And to take care of us. Paul goes on and writes... But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me hath flourished. And again, wherever ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, For I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That, I believe, is the key to Paul's peace. He had learned contentment. He didn't say it came naturally. He said, I have learned to be content." I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. In verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We come full circle. It starts with God. It ends with God. It's God's peace. It's God's joy. It's God's power. It's God's doing. And through that, if we allow Him to work, We can do whatever God calls us to through Him. Rejoice in the Lord always. Live in moderation and gentleness, remembering the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, pray and be thankful. Remember, God's peace is beyond our ability to comprehend, and that peace will guard our lives in Christ Jesus. Number five, think on godly things. And the very God of peace will be with us. I'd like for us all to turn together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll close by simply reading and looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 24. I noticed for the first time how close and similar this passage is to Philippians 4. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of Shalom sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. I've asked Joel to lead us. In the song 421, Prince of Peace, Control My Will. As we sing this, pay close attention to the words. It's it's a prayer, and I trust it's our commitment to seeking God's shalom upon our lives. Brother Joe.